But also, we got a great show for everybody that's tuning in on Facebook Live. Our just talking guest is Reason.com senior editor and author of Panic Attack young radicals in the age of trump this is robbie suave and we also got striker court artist nicole alexandra the singing violinist this is gonna be great it's time to rock and roll marissa oh hold on i can't rock and roll just this second <laughs> you're like give i'm beating you to the queue give me two seconds we got a new thing happening here hold in hold that's on. right I, wasn't there a new um podcast released this week? Well, that is right. Marissa's already catching me off guard. That's that's absolutely correct. I want to let, let everybody know to check out our new YouTube episode drop featuring Just Talking Guest, which was USA Today's best-selling author, Chris Tuff, and also our striker court artist, Brandon Lee Harris. All right, it's time to rock and roll. <laughs> And now, Sean Hannity takes over from right, New York. People can make money. They provide goods and services people want, need, and desire. That's America. It's called freedom, capitalism, uh, and as long as it's honest, right? People decide. All right, Tucker, great show. Uh, welcome to Hannity. This is now... <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you might be wondering <laughs> why we played a clip of Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity at the top of TLDR. That's because Tucker criticized Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos for getting richer during the pandemic, and Hannity responded, that's America. It's called freedom, capitalism. Tucker didn't look too pleased. In an article from Time titled, Jeff Bezos just added a record $13 billion to his fortune in a single day by Jack Pitcher. On Monday, the United States experienced the largest single-day jump for an individual since the Bloomberg Billionaires Index was created in 2012. Bezos, the world's richest person, has seen his fortune swell $74 billion in 2020 to $189.3 billion, despite the U.S. entering its worst economic downturn since the Great Depression. He's now personally worth more than the market valuation of giants such as ExxonMobil, Nike, and McDonald's. And as I stated on the show last week, Jeff Bezos is on track to become the world's first trillionaire. And I mean, listeners, you do realize that a trillion equals a thousand billions. So Marissa, to quote Mel Brooks, it's good to be king. <laughs> but do we need to be concerned by the success of Jeff Bezos, Amazon, the Washington Post, the world? <laughs> Look, I have no problem. You want to, like I said, um, Sean Hannity said, it's America. You got a great idea. You make your millions, trillions, billions, whatever. It's cool. The problem I have is he doesn't share it. When he, he talks well, about having a first. new... I know he's talking about having a new healthcare system coming out, the Bezos healthcare system, yet he took people off of uh, World Market, their health system. So I don't know. Jeff Bezos, spread that Well, that's a good around. point. But also at the same time, <laughs> this guy doesn't want to be giving his wealth anytime soon. It's just like how I was saying on the show last week about how the Redskins have so much pressure on them. That's because the bombshell story that's about the drop, that's come from the Washington Post. Who was the Washington Post? That's Jeff Bezos. You think they wanted to charge member again, like last week, New York Mets, they only want like two to three billion. 
this is chump chase for Jeff Bezos. He wants to control Washington. So we need to keep a close eye on this individual because they say despite the $38 billion he lost in his recent divorce settlement, according to Business Insider Report, Jeff Bezos could be the first trillionaire on earth by the year 2026. 2020 is a dud. We might as well skip 2021 and focus on 2022. Not only will live venues be back, but a new Los Angeles National Women's Soccer League headed by Natalie Portman will premiere. And bets are being placed for the team name with Angel City at the top. In an article from USA Today titled, Natalie Portman leads star-studded group bringing NWSL franchise to Los Angeles in 2022 by Aria Gerson. The coolest thing about this new team, besides the star-studded backing, is a partnership with the LA84 Foundation, which aims to build more access to youth sports for undeserved groups in the Los Angeles area. See, I am loving how women's soccer is gathering so much attention here in the U.S., and this will be a much-anticipated event after the COVID lockdowns. Now, 2022 is a long way off. However, we are lucky to have some great sport events on the horizon, and the one I am excited for is Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr.'s upcoming fight. Now, Iron Mike has been releasing videos of his impeccable shape and fitness, and he is a powerhouse of fitness. Chris, I know you are a big fight fan. So That's right. Who, who <laughs> is your guy on this fight? Well, gosh, I mean, have you seen how Mike Tyson's been working out in the gym? Just like how you stated, it's a scary individual. The only thing that kind of bugs me about this fight going in is I heard it's going to be hosted in California. He was talking on first take with uh, Max Kellerman. And because it's being hosted in California, the fight is going to be an eight round fight with headgear on. I think that's sort well, of weak in my opinion. They are over, they are over 40. <laughs> yeah, that's true too, but boxing's boxing, right? I mean, I don't think Mike well, Tyson would ever say that. Okay, so who's your money on? Answer the question. Who's I gotta go with on? Mike Tyson. I mean, come what on round? now. What, what round? round? I think it's gonna go all eight rounds. Oh, well, no. My money is on Tyson also, but I'm saying round six knockout. Did you hear who's the co-headliner? No. Nate Robinson, the former NBA player, and they're also bringing YouTube star Jake Paul to fight as the co-headliner. Okay, well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Pretty lame. <laughs> Pretty damn lame. <laughs> but well, hey, sports heard- are back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Tyson, round six, knockout. In an article from BuzzFeed News titled, a new study said politicians have been doom-scrolling more too by Jane Lovnenko. I hope I pronounced your last name right. (laughs) But a new study from the Pew Research Center shows that social media use among congressional representatives has nearly doubled since 2016 on Twitter. On Facebook, members of Congress are posting 48% more content than they were four years ago. Democrats see higher numbers on Twitter. Republicans get more engagement on Facebook. While Democrats post more often, gaining more engagement overall, an average Republican post gets more likes, comments, shares, and retweets than the average Democratic one. 
Uh, one of the key terms that the Democrats are more distinctive towards is equal pay, gun safety, LGBT, and workers' rights. By contrast, the most distinctive terms for the Republicans were pro-growth, bureaucrats, unborn, and illegal immigrant. Curiously, another unique phrase used by the Republicans was enjoyed visiting, mentioned by nearly 75% of lawmakers of that party. That sits just above uh, another Republican term, Christ. And I know, Marissa, if I were to recommend anything for the Republican Party, they might want to use some unique phrases like, uh, how about saying, enjoyed visiting Christ? <laughs> Does that sound like a good idea? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in religion and politics not being hand in hand in marriage. Uh, so Well, yeah. we did have the chart. <laughs> Do you have the chart close by you, Marissa? No, there's no chart um, uploaded, unfortunately. Okay, well, we will be setting that at a later time, but it's very uh, unique to see the, the differences between the Democrats and Republicans. And for all the youth out there that are still contemplating who to vote for, it's pretty unique to share what values both parties stand for. And oh, one last thing, one marked difference is the conversation surrounding Black Lives Matter protests as a secondary analysis of the data has shown. So black members of Congress make up just 10% of elected officials, but among the governing body, they publish a quarter of the post about Black Lives Matter. <laughs> All right, we're still because we're in the just talking and our guest is Robbie Swab. He's the senior editor at Reason.com and author of Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. How's it going, Robbie? Great. Good to talk to you. That's what I like to hear, man, because, man, let's just get right into it. I have so much I want to just get off my chest. And I know you're the right guy to answer all these questions, because as you stated in your book, you know, Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. I kind of want to challenge you a little bit going into the fall 2020, because I know a lot you're very vocal about the rhetorical outrage that we see in the classrooms, about how sometimes there's always that one individual, not necessarily the faculty, it tends to be the student that tends to have the full control of being the vocal spotlight, I guess, in this classroom setting. So since everything is not happening live in the classroom, uh, for this fall 2020, what do you see happening with virtual classes this fall? Well, that's a <laughs> it's quite a question. Um, I think this will be uh, this could be a good thing actually for college students. Um, I I really have begun to seriously question um, the value of a college education given how much it costs. Obviously, it has value. Don't get me wrong, but does it have years of crippling debt uh, <laughs> make it worth it value. I'm not sure about that. I think, uh, and in these colleges that want to charge the same amount of money, but there's no, there's no dormitory, there's no kind of party experience, which let's be real, that's what uh, most of these kids are paying for is the experience. <laughs> and you're going to charge the same amount of money, even though they're not getting any of that. I don't know, man. I think, they, <laughs> I think the kids would be well justified to take a gap year and, and, and think about this. Yes, because I, like you said, I mean, I have $100,000 in student loan debt. I have an MFA, oh MA. I had, you know, adjunct teaching jobs the whole nine. And now I have no jobs. So I, there's <laughs> ain't nobody hiring me next year. And it make, has made me really 
wonder like now I'm in debt for the rest of my life. Was it worth it? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, I wish I, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in debt. I wish I had a hundred thousand dollars and no college degree, or you can or get a cheap college degree from a community college. You're getting basically the same educational quality. Really what you're paying for is the, is the better social experience. And of course the, the prestige or whatnot. But I think that's gonna, I think uh, the, the value that just people place on, oh, the, the most elite school and degree, I think that's gonna catch up with reality. Um, and maybe sooner now that uh, because of the pandemic. Well, especially since Harvard wants to charge, you know, $50,000 for tuition this fall. How, how, how can they justify that? Especially since, you know, you don't get the same experience uh, when you're in a physical setting like a classroom environment. I mean, what do you say to these universities that still think that uh, they're not downplaying the situation? Yeah, I, I, it can't be justified. Um, I think students would be wise to refuse to pay that price. I mean, distance learning, the Zoom learning, it it is not the same at all. I, I think it's okay for the college set, um, maybe for some high schools, K through eighth grade, no way. It does not work. It is a farce. Um, it's and you need and we we need da- the daycare effect of school for kids that of that age because their parents need to go to work. So if you're not going to reopen those schools, I mean, you're going to have to provide the, the state is going to have to provide daycare anyway. So it's I, I'm I'm a little like are we, we're they're really not going to reopen the schools is what it sounds like, and it's it's it seems a little excessive and crazy to me given how desperately that is needed and how comparatively lower the risks seem. What would be your suggestion uh, for? Because I know there's a lot of you know faculty and administration and teachers out there really concerned about wanting to return back in the fall, especially here in California. Uh, do you have an alternative plan or you're just not sure or like, or do we just need to get these students back into the classrooms as soon as possible? Well, we need to do one of two things. Uh, we need to either reopen schools with whatever safety precautions we can work out, need some staggered schedules, maybe not, maybe not back to school every day, something like that. Um, or, or if you're, if we're not going to do that, you need to like refund the tax money or something that is taken from people so they can arrange daycare or tutoring or whatever they need. It's, it's a double hit to still take the money for schools and then not have schools open. I mean, that's like, that's kind of terrible to me. And as a parent also, I was going to get my child into preschool coming up for the social effects. Obviously that's not happening. (laughs) And one thing is it's true. Zoom does not work for K, you know, K no through way. all the way up almost to junior high. It really doesn't work. And there are so many people in their 30s, in their 20s who want to work, who have their teacher certificate. Let them be in the classroom with them. And the people who are afraid of their help can stay home. I know your mom is really worried, Chris, you yeah. know, and forcing her to go to work when they're older and have the health thing is a problem. But there are young people like me <laughs> yeah. who would have no problem working. I'm like, get me in there. I need money. Please. Yeah, but it's also, it's a very slippery slope and I don't really know the answers to it. That's why I'm not going to pretend like I'm the health expert here. But I know one of the biggest things I want to ask you, Robbie, is is since I was asking at the top, it's like, yeah, the rhetorical outrage, it's not going to be the same, especially with Zoom, right? It's like, how am I going to like shout over Robbie when maybe a professor could just mute him out? (laughs) You know, if I don't want to hear him, it's like, nope, sorry, I'm muting out every student. I'm speaking right now. But I don't know if you heard about this, but on Wednesday, students at the California State University for the first time will be required to take a course in ethnic studies 
or a class with a social justice component under a policy approved by the boards of trustees. Uh, do you see this being a good idea going into the classrooms? They're saying they want to implement this by 2023 and 2024. There are uh, similar requirements to that in, um, in many other colleges. So it's not, uh, it's not so revolutionary. Um, I think it can be, that can be mundane. I mean, I wonder specifically what that means, what kind of class fulfilled. And it often ends up being arbitrary, what kind of classes satisfy like a, like a race and ethnicity requirement when you look at it. And it's like, oh, this is really just kind of like a political, straightforward, kind of, kind of a little too much indoctrinate for my taste yeah. Some in, in a lot of the cases. Um, but that's just kind of true of a lot of your, your generic kind of liberal arts, um, sociology type courses. Um, I think as long as kids are kind of getting a balance, it's okay. But I, I think often they are not. Well, that's why I always laugh. It's like, will we ever get a middle ground in the new decade? Because I know my old no. alumni now, I get to say, Cal State Los Angeles, they have a new video campaign they want to do. It's like, go get out and vote. Everybody that's been at Cal State Los Angeles knows it's so liberal. So I always make the joke saying, imagine if there was a guy from Youth of uh, American Freedom you know, Club and they wanted to make a Make America Great Again campaign to go out and vote, I guarantee you that video would have been shut down by Cal State Los Angeles. And that's why I don't really don't have any faith going into the new decade that, that there will ever be some middle ground. I mean, do you see yourself uh, seeing maybe a third party growing uh, during the next decade? I mean, yeah, I, I'm an unabashed third party um, supporter. Um, the problem for third parties in the American system is just the system is very stacked against third parties. The, uh, the uh, structure of the Electoral College, the winner take all system that we have means there really has to be only two parties. The, the incentive is to just have two parties. And for if there's a third party movement or concern, the two parties, the, 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 they, they like co-opt the issue or whatever the movement is, like because it's winner take all. You don't get you know, you, you don't you don't have coalitions of parties the way you have in like parliamentary governments in England, where you have a bunch of parties and then these two work together to form a majority. And then there's these other three. Our system is just not like that at, in a very fundamentally flawed way. So it's so hard for third parties to emerge. Well, Robbie, in the last week, we've gotten a couple of resolutions for this because I know that yesterday Representative Louis Gomer asked House to remove the Democratic Party for quote historically supporting slavery so maybe that might end the two-party system and uh we also got you know uh, like, no. the, <laughs> yeah. or what we could do Robbie is we could write in our vote for Kanye West what do you suggest oh yeah <laughs> yeah who are you gonna write if you had to write in somebody if you had to write them in who mm. would you write in uh, well, I, you know, so I'm a big fan of Representative Justin Amash, uh, who's a, a independent, libertarian-leaning former Republican, and I thought he was going to be the Libertarian Party candidate, but he decided not to run, and I was like, I'm going to write his name in anyway, and then he even said, even if I somehow won because people wrote my name in, I would not serve as president. I'm like, okay, fine, I really don't know what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do okay, know. You have, you have a much, um, like... <laughs> better political one i was gonna write in cardi b because okay. that is the american dream what? You can be a, if you can be a second-rate stripper yeah and turn oh, into uh, a first-rate rapper with all that money that's the american gene jeff okay. bezos move over <laughs> <laughs> you need to stop playing but on the real i know with the upcoming vote in 102 days from now who will you be voting for because uh, I, I know I, 
I'll probably vote for the Libertarian Party candidate, Joe Jorgensen, uh, who's not a, a well-known person. But, and so, you know, I was thinking, am I really going to vote for someone like I've never heard of her? And then I listened to her talk for about 10 seconds. I'm like, oh, yeah, I agree with everything she's saying. So I'll, <laughs> I'll probably vote for her. Yeah, and I think in your book, um, I believe it was in your book, that you had mentioned that a lot of independents, I was either in an interview or a book, so correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of independents, if they actually looked at what their political affiliations might be, would actually fall within libertarian, which is less government, but social programs to help out. You want um, libertarians want to abolish ICE. They want to um, redo the penal system, get rid of the drug, you know, obviously people yeah. getting thrown in jail because of marijuana when it's legal, you know, all that stuff. So can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's about it, it, consistency. Um, you know, a lot of Republicans uh, are like, yeah, we want less government for taxes and regulation, et cetera, but then they want much more government in, you know, your personal life, social issues, et cetera. And many Democrats are the opposite, you know, it, right, progressive social values, you know, letting people live their lives the way they want, but then lots of very punitive taxes and regulation. I, I'm just consistent across the board. I want government not involved in your life. I think that's an appealing message for a lot of people anyway. Yes, we're not gonna police what you do in the bedroom with drugs, et cetera. But we're also not gonna make it uh, miserable for you to open up a small business and comply with all these insane regulations. That's the libertarian platform. I think it appeals to a lot of people, um, but it, it's, you know, it's just, it's again, it's such a two-party system and it's such a, it's such a vicious time just in terms of like political commentary and the, 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 the drive to pick a side or pick a tribe is just really, is really intoxicating, I think. Well, I, I, oh, sorry, well I was going to say, on that note, I wanted to share something with you. So, Marissa, could you share the tweet with yes. uh, Maria Rutenberg? Because I thought this was quite interesting. So this is all happening in California. So there's a California resident who asked Redwood City to allow me to paint Make America Great Again 2020 next to Black Lives Matter on the Broadway. Instead, they are erasing Black Lives Matter. I stand for the First Amendment and everyone's right to express their political views in a new public forum of street asphalt. So that kind of made me laugh. But they're now, I guess Redwood City Council's now claiming that, you know, she's claiming they, they erased Black Lives Matter because they didn't want to put Make America Great Again next to each other. Now Redwood City Council's saying they had to get rid of it because now it's creating a traffic hazard. I don't know what kind of traffic hazard, what, from space? <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I don't you see, it's like, I don't see how we're ever going to get to a middle ground well, if we're going to continue with this sort of rhetoric about how it's very private, politically driven, uh, a level because, uh, like we already know, Republicans aren't very much speaking up for the issues of Black Lives Matter. And why is this becoming very heavily politicized going into November? So politicized, and I, I saw somewhere, uh, yeah, there was a Black Lives Matter was painted on the street, and then someone started. Uh, uh, they were painting over it to get rid of it. Just you know what's like, really so funny about that, Robbie? We did that, and then but then they got charged. I'm like, they shouldn't do that. But then I'm like, oh, they're being charged with a hate crime. I'm like, okay, that's you know, we don't need to lock them in prison for a trillion years either. Well, you know what's really funny about that, Robbie? That was actually our guest two weeks ago. That really? was Evelyn BT. Yeah, she's uh, she, and the funny part about that was, yeah, she threw black paint all over Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Tower. But the thing is, she got released out of jail within like three hours and went that's back cool. at midnight and dumped it all over again. And what do you say to those people like that? Because it's like, I thought a lot of us are trying to get to that reconciliation, that rioting and looting and just damaging city property. That doesn't even get our point across on yeah. a level. I mean, what do you 
say to people, I guess, like a Bevelin who is doing these actions? I mean, everything, like, it's a shame that, again, everything is so tribalized. Like, yes, I, I think, of course, Black Lives Matter. I want to, you know, reform uh, 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 the criminal justice system, how police treat uh, other citizens. Um, and I think, again, I think a lot of people support that. But then it get you know, some of the activists on those issues take it so far, like it's about overthrowing global capitalism and, you know, explicit Marxism and, and, uh, and, it, and they talk about it in, I think, kind of the most racialized version of it that, you know, police is, is bad policing is only a racial issue, uh, which isn't true. I, I mean, it's like <laughs> police, have, they, they bother in a, in a very negative way. People love white people as well. You like, being white is no guarantee that you're not going to be hassled by the police. Yeah. Um, of course, there are racial problems in the criminal justice system, but focus. It, I, I think it was. A, it's been a mistake from progressive but activists sometimes to portray this... it as only a race issue. Right, but it's also just drives me nuts when I see this week, uh, you know, presidential candidates running our former VP Joe Biden. That's literally saying Donald Trump is our first racist president. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I question, does he really understand why people are toppling down monuments and statues? It's because they're butthurt that former slave owners, aka ex-presidents, you know, which were 12 former, you know, slave Woodrow owners. Wilson resegregated the federal service in like 1915 or something. So right. but it's, just, not, it's just not true. <laughs> right. I mean, but we also got this rhetoric that, you know, that, with because I know that you spoke in front of Congress last year. I mean, you spoke about the issue about how this this ideology in Americans' viewpoints that you know the KKK is running rapidly across the nation, white supremacy is even larger than ever. I mean, there's individuals right now that would say you're absolutely wrong, Robbie. And what do you say to them right now, knowing the statistics of it in 2020 today? Well, that's I, I just I try to point out um, facts and rely on good information, and you know, and not dismiss my critics. Like, yes, white supremacy is a problem. The internet has made it easier for alt right type people no. to organize and make their voices known. At the same time, um, like violence, murder is not up. Ideologically motivated violence. I mean, yeah, obviously you can you hear stories and things, but statistically it has not increased um, in recent years. Uh, white nationalists like don't go out and kill a lot of people, nor do nor do like Antifa, nor do Islamists, yeah. like extremists in general. Um, it, it, there are a lot of there are a lot of ways you can get killed in America, but but because someone hates you ideologically is not a particularly likely one. And I think that's important to keep in mind as we talk about like free speech and the cost of that. Actually, people don't go out and kill each other for ideological reasons all that often. Yeah, well, you had a great chapter in your book about that with the extremists. Um, and I highly recommend people to actually read your book. I picked it up. I read it. It's an easy read. Thank God. <laughs> After getting my MA, I hate anything scholarly. I'm like shooting in the head. It's the worst. But, uh, yeah, no, but it, it made it to the sense where I think you were able to look at both points of uh, both people's ideologies and say, look, there's a small percentage of that that the media is magnifying and having that conceptualizing of what is the media. That's their job. Magnify something. But we have to contextualize that. And you, yeah. you talk about that in your book, which is so great. But let me ask you this, Robbie, because I I do feel 
are, are we getting all the facts? Because I know as this pandemic has turned into, as many TV pundits are saying, it's becoming a political football field. And I know here in California, millennials, the largest demographic in our country, are gambling their community's health to have a few beers at Huntington Beach. And I know with COVID-19 right now, the age group between 18 and 34 in California, for example, they're saying is uh, coming out with testing positive way more than 35 to 49 year olds in Arizona. Over 60% of the new infections are coming from people under the age of 45. Um, I just know that California just had the highest mortality rate death yesterday with 176. So will we ever get some middle ground with the COVID-19 situation? Cause I always felt like personally, once we got rid of the who, we never had the CDC and the WHO kind of challenging each other as two powerful scientific organizations. I kind of thought that's what science was all about. Um, where do you see yourself right now with COVID-19? Um, I think it's very hard to, even if it's wise, even if it's in everyone's best interest to require everyone to stay home, I, I think it's, it's just increasingly hard to reasonably expect people to do that. Man, humans are social animals. We want to see each other. We want to go back to work. We want to socialize. And this just kind of, no, everybody, you know, stay inside for virtually, you know, until this problem is magically solved, which could be six months from now. It could be a year from now. It could be never. It, it could be never. Yeah. Um, I think it's just increasingly unrealistic. I, I think the, the proper role for the government at this point is to just give people good information, inform people about what kinds of activities are risky, according to what science uh, is saying, and not be overly punitive or harsh in that we're going to require you to do this. And, you know, you can you can have a hamburger on the sidewalk, but not chicken wings or so, which is what uh, the governor of New York is well, doing right now, which is just crazy yeah. to me. Or like, you know, 10 people at a funeral, but not 11. But protests are exempted. And it's just it seems chaotic and crazy and uh, and, and actually biased and actively uh, uh, uh will cause people to disobey it for that reason. So I'm at the point where I, I want good guidance on what should should happen, but people need to basically make up their own minds. And, and we well, have to prepare that some people are gonna make decisions that put themselves and others at risk. Well, let me wrong. ask you this, Rob, because I always felt like the elevation of virus denial is strongly happening right now is because we're in the middle of all these protests, right? But then you got the Huffington Post, you got Buzzfeed, you got all these organizations that are going, Oh, you know, we don't have any statistical evidence that shows that any spike of COVID cases are coming from protests. If that was really the case, then why did we ban the beaches for 4th of July? Right. If outside gatherings don't create the COVID spike. And that's why I think with our, it's not so much on the national level, it's our local politics that I think is really hurting us on a level about how we're ever going to get back to reality because it never seems like any of us are in agreement with anything. <laughs> Well, and again, because of the tribalization, you only trust information from your side. So there's a lot of people, you know, in, who just distrust just everything they hear from the Trump White House. There's a lot of people who distrust everything they hear from conservative media. Uh, then there's people who distrust everything they hear from mainstream media and right. from scientific experts. Um, we don't have a shared conversation or a shared, like, here are the people we all kind of collectively trust in. 
And some, and there are benefits to that too, because those people have got, you know, got things wrong historically, the, the so-called neutral arbiters of information in journalism in like previous decades. Now there's no gatekeeping. You can go, so all sorts of information everywhere and you kind of just have to decide what you believe. Uh, but the downside of that is there's a lot of disinformation out there and a lot of people who believe it. That's why I want to add it to the final point we got here towards the end of this interview, because I know you're writing a brand new book that's going to be addressing the culture of social media. And I know a new study from the Pew Research Center shows that social media use among congressional representatives has nearly doubled since 2016 on Twitter. And last week, Twitter's high profile accounts such as Elon Musk and Bill Gates, to name a few, were a part of this cryptocurrency hack. Are you concerned about the legitimacy of a November election? Um, I, I don't think I'm concerned about the legitimacy. I think that's often, uh, that concern is overstated. There was a lot of, uh, the idea that like advertisements on Facebook somehow, you know, change thousands or millions of votes is a little, uh, is a little, like listen to, listen to the radio, watch the television. If you do that all day, you will hear so much factual misinformation and nobody's freaked out about that because that's been the case for decades. So it's something it's, to me, it's that social media is new. And so the new thing is always the thing people freak out about. Oh, what kind of effect this is having? You know, it has some positive effects. It has some negative effects, just like any other medium. So I, I think there's, there was too much uh, in the last election cycle, too much uh, blaming of Facebook in particular. Maybe it'll be Twitter this time. Maybe but we, all, but we do have Twitter right now that I know certain uh, members in the House want to have Jack Dorsey speak on the floor because obviously with this situation, just last month, it wasn't too long ago, they decided to fact check the president for the first time. Anybody on Twitter. They just happen to do Donald Trump first. And to me, sometimes I thought that was kind of alarming because the reason why I mentioned the legitimacy one, they just try to fact check us about a month ago. And then two, you know, people are really concerned about mail-in ballots going in. Yeah. So I've always been a physical guy. I haven't had too many problems with mail-in ballots, but I do get concerned about the idea that if we did start turning things into digital voting, should we be concerned on a level? Because I feel like Twitter's showing that example just within these last months that they still have a lot of work they gotta do. They do, and we'll see. <laughs> but it will still continue to be an important part of the conversation, um, that's for sure. And I think people will maybe come to value their privacy more soon, and that could be the next phase. As people saying tweeting everything that comes to mind is not actually a good idea. <laughs> God, I hope so. <laughs> I feel you. Like, so stop, so. stop using Twitter as a therapeutic session, millennials, please. But I want to thank Robbie Swab again for being our Just Talking guest. Go and pick up his book, Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. Yes. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you Thank so you. much. You're on mute. Hilarious. That's why you got a sidekick for you. <laughs> I was just going to let like, everybody know. We're in strike accord. We're beyond stoked because we got the one and only Nicole, the singing violinist, Alexandra. How's it going, my friend? I know she's slowly on, coming on. Let me get on her it. to put her uh, her video on. <laughs> I know how it is with the Zoom life. Oh, how weird. I don't for any it. of the listeners that are tuning in for the first time, and if you're not familiar with Strike Accord, what we like to do is we like to highlight the most kick-ass, young, up-and-coming millennial artists that we find all the time. And we're beyond stoked to have Nicole Alexandra rejoin us for the Chris College Show. 
Millennial Talk Show. How's it going, Nicole? Yay, there she is. How are you? We're fabulous. I mean, let's get right on into it. I know, what are you doing right now to stay active during these times? Because I know you were kind of joking with me that with COVID-19, on a level, it's kind of forcibly made you become a producer. (laughs) I thought producing came with music. (laughs) Exactly, I know. So there were so many different things that I could have studied also. When I went to Berklee College of Music and I always was thinking, okay, should I I go with just performance or should I also go with uh, MP&E? Uh, music production and engineering and they are two different things but yes they go together so well but it's just it's another skill that you have to learn and now I'm learning it because I have to so I have my mics here I have everything set up my keyboard um, anything I need to do if I need to lay down guitar I'm learning new instruments bass as well just to be able to uh, put things together yeah and I know with COVID, it's kind of, it's testing people's relationships, it's testing their workflow and et cetera. Um, sometimes I view COVID as kind of a blessing in disguise. It's kind of made me, at least for the Chris Collins show, come up with new ideas I would have never thought of because you get stuck in this situation for X yeah. amount of time. Uh, have you felt like COVID-19 for a random weird feeling it's given you a blessing in disguise? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think making... Um or having those moments where you have to create something and you just have to get, yeah, you got to get creative with it and turn something that may seem very negative into a positive. So yeah, I definitely have learned a lot and built on what my own music is and done more live streams and just created whatever I need to do to keep going, keep the momentum going and keep always playing. I love it. I have been seeing you doing the live performances and it's not just you performing live. You're also dancing, which I think is groovy. Oh, yeah, definitely. But Marissa, can we play the uh, show, the meme that uh, Drake posted, rapper Drake? Yes, I I, can. I I thought this was great because I know you have a song, uh, Nicole, that's called Every Drake Song on Violin. But I love this meme on his Instagram because he's going, are you single? No, I'm album. And the reason why I'm, I'm showing this is I've been having a long debate for over a month now with every artist that's been coming on the show because obviously COVID is making artists have to choose such a tough decision in 2020. Should yeah. you produce an album or should you only focus on singles? Right. Are singles in or albums out? I would say do anything that you really desire to do. So if it's something you love, put out a full album. But if you want to just do it for like a strategic purpose and just do one song at a time, singles do make more sense right now, in my opinion, because there's just so much going on and everything is online that we're inundated with it. But at the same time, I may drop a full album randomly. And if I feel inspired, I'm definitely going to do it. So I'd say no limitations, but I do also get the single thing, but I I love listening to full length albums. It's great. One song goes into another and it's a story. Well, what about cover songs? Because you are, you, you do it with this music video. You did every Drake song on violin. I haven't really seen too many artists take advantage of that situation. I know personally that I'm blanking out right now. I'm having a brain fart, but there's an Instagram drummer that plays every Blink-182 song or Foo Fighters song and then transitions it every five seconds into a new song. Nice. That's kind of showing your talent, right? Wouldn't you encourage more artists to do more covers? Definitely covers, medleys, you you go from one song to another and then to throw in an original and to just make it as creative as possible. I am all about that. I love taking something and just like flipping it completely 
but it still has the essence of the song. But yeah, the Every Drake song on violin is definitely not what you would expect because one, it's violin. Right. Two, it does go into, uh, there's also some Travis Scott songs in there, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's the combination of all of it. And I love it. So I definitely encourage other artists to do it. Well, that's why you're one of my favorite artists because you actually make the violin look hip and you make mm-hmm. it sound hip. And so, hot and sexy and all so, that above. Very majestic <laughs> in the white room. We love it. So we want to play. have enough time so we could showcase that music video. This is Nicole Alexandra, the singing violinist. This song's called Every Drake Song on Violin. <laughs>
That's right. That was Nicole yeah. the singing violinist Alexandra. Wow. That Thank music video so is so wow. majestic. <laughs> you know what I would love to see? I would love to see you do a collaboration with the brothers from Two Cellos. Yeah, I would oh. love to. I would I absolutely die because I love I, them. And wow. you? Woo! I've thought of that for so many years now. Honestly, yes, I would. I would love Well, to we need it. to do a PSA announcement. If yes. you're seeing this right now, we need to make this collaboration happen. <laughs> it would be really beautiful. I know. And cello, oh, wow. And the way that they uh, do the same thing, transforming it into another style. It's really, it's just beautiful. So, yeah, wow. <laughs> well, I think the beauty with you, Nicole, is it's like, I know that you're staying active. And one of the few things that you are staying active is you, you are a musical teacher. You do teach yeah. do, through via Zoom. You've even been doing it long yeah. before even the pandemic's happened. I so this... know. It's been years. It's been, it's been almost uh, about 14 years of teaching now. But as far as online, it's been a couple of years now. So. And what's the best part about learning music? For somebody who's never actually picked up an instrument, what's kind of that euphoria feeling you get? when you start learning a new song for the first time? I can definitely speak from personal experience as well as what I've seen with my students, but to go from feeling like you can't accomplish something and then to actually learn it when you, you just feel like there might be a, you know, some kind of wall stopping you. And then when you finally get it and you learn it, it's just, it's, it's the best feeling. But it's so what, hard to explain. Yeah. What do you say to people like myself who my fingers literally can't do opposite things? So if my right hand is doing something, my left copies. So I can't, I can't play the guitar. I can't do piano. What do you say to people? Well, I'm a lefty, Marissa, and I play regular. I don't want to hear about how special. I'm <laughs> just okay. saying. I'm asking the teacher. Okay. <laughs> I would, um, yeah, I'd probably say that it's best to not set again any type of limitation. So as soon as you say to yourself, "I can't do it," "I can't." uh coordinate i definitely understand what you mean because when i started i did not feel like i could coordinate you know playing piano one hand is doing this one's doing another i mean it's very strange but i think what got me past it was just telling myself no you have this you got it just believe in yourself confidence and just do it over and over and i don't know it's just eventually it does happen if you're just really patient with yourself um but I really do believe that you could play some guitar and you could play ukulele. I could help you. Trust me. Okay. okay. Well, there's uh, there's an individual out there by the name of Elon Musk. And uh, the reason why I'm bringing this individual's name up is I don't think you're going to be happy with this, Nicole. So uh, let's show let's show the image yeah. of this because this is pretty wild. Neuralink, which is uh, Elon Musk's company, plans to implant the music streaming technology into a surgical robot that implants gosmere thin wires which musk claims is thinner than a human hair into a person's brain an external processing unit is then placed behind the ear as you can see in this obviously what elon musk is suggesting is we're going to be soon ditching the headphones and you won't even need that and he's also suggested in past interviews that you won't have to learn anything anymore. Through our company, we will teach you how to play every Drake Sign song me on the up. violin. Sign me up. Put right. it in my brain. But then, but then it's all just instant gratification. And then you don't have that, what I was just mentioning about 
feeling like there's a wall or some kind of block and then you overcome it and you learn it and it's such a good feeling to actually be able to do something and learn a new skill so i'm gonna be honest this is terrifying to me this is like black mirror um all those <laughs> no. thank you a little bit of westworld too I like, want a pill to make me skinny and fit. I want the implant to make me speak Spanish like that. Play okay, the well, we all know that Marissa took the red pill, <laughs> not the blue pill. Exactly. I'm like, maybe go with the blue pill. Yeah, it's just that it's a little scary. It's a little scary to me, or actually very scary. Very scary, yeah. To be honest, um, I guess I, yeah, in my personal opinion, I don't even know really what that's going to do to the brain. I mean, do we know what that's also it's beyond just learning an instrument or having music? What else is it going to do when we're installing something? It, it, I like things to be natural. I don't know. I yes. say read more sci-fi books. Yes, it could go terribly wrong and humanity disappears or it's a new frontier chapter. And I'm maybe, go well, maybe all the EDM <laughs> stars stuck behind a DJ might actually install them and they might become animatronics at the new Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know. That's my be them. I like it. I don't know. I'm scared for some reason, but we, uh, we're going to find Well, Nicole, I know we're about to be playing one of your music videos and I know it's yeah. really long. So I want to remind oh. all the listeners, if you want to see the full extent, right. you got to yeah. go to Nicole Alexandra's YouTube channel. It's that simple. Type in Nicole Alexandra. But we're going to be playing the last half of the music video, which the song is called Rockabye with Stan and it's Clean Bandit and Eminem Melody. I love this. So... Marissa, I think it's time to rock and roll. She works the nights by the water And she's gone astray so far away from her father's daughter she just wants a life for a baby all on her own no one will come but she's got to save him she tells him ooh love no one's ever gonna hurt you love i'm gonna give you all of my love nobody matters like you she tells him your life ain't gonna be nothing like my life you're gonna grow and have a good life i'm gonna do what i Somebody's got you rock a bye, baby, rock a bye. 
six-year-old trying to keep him warm trying to get out the cold when he looks in her eyes he don't know he is safe when she says she tells him oh love no one's ever gonna hurt you love i'm gonna give you all of my love nobody matters like you she tells him your life ain't gonna be nothing like my life you're gonna grow and have a good life i'm gonna
Wow, sorry, we, I had to cut it. That was awesome. Yeah, it was so good. We actually played a little bit more than we were going to, but hey, that's what you get when you're on the Chris Collins show. But if you want to check out the full music video, go ahead and check out Nicole Alexandra's YouTube channel. It's called Rockabye and Stan, Clean Bandit, and Eminem Melody. It's amazing. And Nicole, thanks again for joining the Chris Collins show millennial talk show thank you so much i really appreciate it thanks (laughs) peace (laughs) see you later our today's guest just talking robbie swab go ahead and pick up his book his panic attack radicals in the age of trump and one last time for the beautifully talented nicole the singing violinist alexandra for joining strike accord and for everybody out there that likes what they are listening to, go to thechriscollinshow.com and become a member today. Yes. And who is our guest next week? Because I love it. Yeah, we're beyond stoked because we got Luke Herman. He is the founder of the Crafting Beery Co. Uh, Brew it. <laughs> Let me re-say that again. Tongue twister. You need a beer. I need a beer after you this. You need a beer. <laughs> the fa- it's Luke Herman. He's the founder of the Crafty Brewing Co. located in the United Kingdom. And we also got TikTok sensation. You might know him from the ad-libs. We got Justin Bernardes that's going to be joining us next week, which we are beyond stoked. And like I said before, everybody, it's nice, hot, and sunny here in California. Enjoy the rest of the day with your family and friends, and I'll see you around. Peace. Ciao, Bellas. Bye.